Osiris. Hey, Osiris listeners. We want to tell you about our friends at Sunset Lake CBD who support this show. Sunset Lake CBD is a Vermont hemp farm crafting affordable CBD products designed to help with sleep and stress without breaking the bank. If you haven't tried CBD before, take it from me, it's a game changer. I use Sunset Lake's tincture every night before I go to bed, helping me get solid, restful sleep. And their gummies are great for daytime. Check out their new Good Vibes gummies, which have just a bit of hemp-derived THC to help you relax and unwind. Sunset Lake CBD crafts products with hemp grown on their family farm and ships them directly to customers. They have tinctures, salves, edibles, coffee, smokables, and even pet products. By the way, their CBD chocolate fudge is awesome. Check them out today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use coupon code TIME for 20% off all products. Sunset Lake CBD, farmer-owned, Vermont-grown. Loyalty, described as, do you care? And I care, and that's why I'm on this show. Comes a time, here we go. <laughs> I'm a sucker for O'Teal, man. I saw that same feeling that I have, that would he fill the void that I didn't even know existed. It feels so good to, as Ben said, to try to do something about an issue as opposed to complaining. If you can't help, don't hurt. If we could just all get out there and throw cream puffs at each other, maybe things would, instead of bullets and, and <laughs> angry words, it would be better. When you stop laughing, you stop living. There's a worldwide surge in interest in mushrooms. It was deep, man. It's not that TM makes your mind quiet down there. It already is. We're just stuck up here. We've lost access. I'm jumping Jack Flash came out by the stones. So I thought, all right, perfect, man. I'm gonna drive, and I started driving through the neighborhood, and I got, I got a text from Mick Jagger. <laughs> People saying that you know what we do is non-essential. Well, playing those few gigs that yeah. you saw me at felt pretty essential to me. It wasn't like they were clapping from here. Is they were clapping from here. My view of things is that death, death is the last and best reward for a life well lived. Like you gotta, it's the strangest of places if you look at it right, you know? If you're liking what you're hearing, head on over to patreon.com forward slash comes a time pod and get your bus pass for an extra episode every week. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Comes a Time. That's O'Teal. And that's Mike. <laughs> and wow, we had... Uh, Percussionist, yeah, uh, Bill Summers, who I know knew mostly from Herbie Hancock and the Headhunters. Yeah, and Quincy he's Jones. And... With everybody, like everybody. Yeah, I could just list. I mean, we could just go on and on. He talked about it a little in the podcast, and he just got on the ladies. He was like, "That was just the ladies." I know. It's <laughs> like wow, and and it goes back like man. Holy I mean, cow. Originally from Louisiana, their family had to leave Louisiana because of just horrible racist crap. Jesus. And they went to Detroit. And then from Detroit, his story goes on from there. And it's just like amazing. But he it's, it's such a historian. He knows the roots of how everything ties back to Africa. Yeah. And that is central in New Orleans because it's the one place in America where black people are allowed to keep their drums. But he's been to Cuba, Brazil, Haiti, all the other places where the African culture and the religion was, it wasn't unbroken. 
Like right. all these rhythms are actually specific to something either in the religion or some, uh, like it could be a, a harvest, you know, right. something to do with nature, yeah. you know, water, air, the, all the elements. But so he knows all this stuff. Like he knows, yeah, that funk beat that's in this Barquet song is actually Wadu. That's a rhythm that goes for the God Obatala, yeah. you know? And I'm like, man, I am playing all these rhythms. I don't know what they go to. Like I need to connect those. So well, like, yeah. he's and, just amazing, man. And the wow. story and the history and everything that he goes through in talking to us kind of just reinforces the importance of the communication of the language of music. And when that was the only way that you could communicate, because if you're too, black men talking on a Sunday, you're considered to be conspiring. So the music oh, yeah, is the, the black I mean, codes and all that. I mean, that's <laughs> nuts. That's absolutely out of this world. I mean, this like, was a history yeah. lesson and, and, and then some, but, and Bill's got a new uh, album out that he plugs at the end. Um, and yeah, just this one's incredible. Really, really great. Thank you, Bill. And uh, thank you for being alive and being you. Wow. Yeah. Thank you to everyone for listening. And uh, we're on Osiris, home to so many great podcasts. Go to OsirisPod.com to check those out. And check us out at Patreon.com forward slash comes a time pod for a bonus episode each week. Thank you. Stay safe. Be good. Don't we'll catch you on the flip. One. Don't miss this one. Talk to you soon. You're in Brazil? I'm in Sao Paulo, Brazil. Oh, wow. Uh-oh. Oh, look at that. Is that a shaker? Oh, no, wait a minute. Look at this. Ooh, now who is that? That's Obatala. Obatala? It's, a, it's an African saint that they, that they have here in Brazil. Really? Yes. What is that made of? It's marble. It's some wow. kind of... Carved and painted black. Nice. Obatala is the oldest African saint. Really? That's great. Yes. That's uh, like exactly what I want to talk with you about. Perfect. <laughs> that stuff. <laughs> well, you know, hey, man, this is... We're in. Let's do it. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a priest. Ah, I did not know that. Yeah, that's why I have these beads on. See, this is even more... This gets better and better. <laughs> this, this is a bead for Obatala. What, is that? what kind of bead is that? Oh, it's... Yeah, I made this. I had to consecrate it myself, but it is for this same thing for this. It's for Obatala. So it, it has Oba... to be white. That's his color of clothes well, Oba, and stuff. Oba, I'll translate it. Oba, Obatala. Oba is king. King. Tala of white. Yes, that's and he's saying white is owned by Obatala. Wow, I like it. What is on the um his scepter? His scepter. What is yeah, that? This is a, a bird. It's, it's a it's a scepter that has a, a white dove at the top. Ah, wow. And, and and doves are sacred to Obatala, and also snails. You see the little round things at the bottom. Yeah, <laughs> look at Those that. Those are snails. So, wow. Obasala, when you do an offering, you offer him these snails. Or, actually, uh, I mean, it's very deep. Uh, it's so deep. I, I, 
I can only just tell you that that's about to lie. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode. Available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Well, this it's okay. I want to, I know it's, it would take years to unpack it all, <laughs> but the angle that I have is I, I had a, a um, drum teacher from Africa when I was seven from Ghana, uh-huh. Kojo Baden. Oh yeah. yeah. He was that way or Ashanti. <laughs> yeah. Weedy, you know, Weedy Brema, I'm sure. Right. I know Weedy very well. He, um, he actually knew Kojo. It blew my mind. But I realized that I have all these rhythms in my head that I've not only made a living off of, but also, you know, it's fed me spiritually, mentally, you know, intellectually, in every kind of way. And I was watching this interview with you, and you were talking about these rhythms that are in all Black music, whether it's gospel, jazz, funk, blues, like whatever. But all these rhythms are tied to either these certain gods or rites that we don't know anymore. Like, I don't know them anymore. Like, Kojo showed me the rhythms, but I was seven, you know, I didn't get all the deep, like, everything. And now I want to know because I feel like I've been in playing this music, like, I'm playing these rhythms and worshiping in this religion in a way, and it's given me back. But I, ha- I have made the connections. Like you said, the rhythm for Obatala is Wadu. Oh, uh, well, are we actually doing the, are we on there? Oh, yeah, we're, 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 going. we're already we're going. <laughs> well, let me kind of explain this to you. Uh, I, I, as a black American, I was raised Catholic. And uh, I, there was a gap. I couldn't really understand it because no one could really explain what was missing. And then one day I went to a ceremony, a guy named Richard Pablo Landrum, Pablo Landrum from New York. He took me to a ceremony and they were playing Bata. Okay, now, when I walked into the ceremony, I realized 
what I was missing, <laughs> you know, and the drumming. And I had I'd been in the conservatory playing classical piano for 10 years. OK, now. At one point, I asked myself, well, as an African-American, do we have our own Chopin's? Do we have our own Beethoven's and our own Bach's? No one's teaching me about that, you know. So when I went to the ceremony, these guys were playing drums. But, you know, it was not a jam session. Then being classically trained, I knew that this was very special, you know, that these rhythms that they were playing, they weren't making them up. You know, I could tell because it was too organized. It fits together, the parts. Yeah, it was, it was so phenomenal <laughs> that I said, well, there's my Beethoven. <laughs> Is this when you were in Detroit or in New Orleans? Well, New York. I, I, not in, this didn't happen in New Orleans. All right? This had happened when I was 13, 14, 15 years old. Uh, okay. All right. And so um, shortly thereafter, I, I received the, uh, in the, in the 60s, I received these. And each one of these represents an energy in nature. You know, the, the, the fresh water is Oshun. The ocean is Yemoja. Everything green on the planet is all fine, so I could play rhythms for the trees. I, I didn't get that in the, in the conservatory. I mean, so Beethoven, there are rhythms. There are rhythms that go with each of with the Yemanja, with all the different. Everything has a reason. And then, then I had to join a fraternity called Anya, and I could. They said, "Well, you can't touch the drums," and I said, "Why?" They said, "Because." You're not, you're not Omoanya. So in order to touch the drums, I had to have my hands baptized. Oh, you know, man. so that's deep shit, bro. I mean, I was yeah, like, man. <laughs> I was, I was touched by that. I said, well, now I've arrived. Yeah. And um, I ev eventually wound up in Cuba and my town was mm. Cuba. And I met a gentleman by the name of Chacha Esteban Vega de Bacayao. And he was uh -oh. an ordained, he was an ordained priest of the drum. Yeah, and uh, I joined his family and uh, he taught me all of these sacred rhythms, many of them. I learned from some other people also. A guy, a guy named uh, Pedro Horta, Punti, uh, Puntia Rios, Puntia, uh, uh, and uh, a lot of other people, Lazaro Galalaga. And um, I just learned how to play for ceremonies. Yeah. And, and there came the training that the classical training on the African side. Yeah. And, and that's, that's very special. I always often tell people in order to go forward as a black man, you got to go backward. That's what to I'm trying forward, to do. To go forward, you have yeah. to go back and kind of, kind of re-understand who you are and where you came from because as an African-American or, you know, some people say we, we were slaves. My people were never slaves. They were prisoners. They weren't yeah. slaves. You know, you can't No, there's a big difference politically on the planet Earth. When you say a person is a slave politically and le legally, that represents something. But when you're a prisoner or a prison, prisoner of war, that's different. You know, now, if you're if you're a, if you're a slave, you might be able to go home. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But as a prisoner, 
you're stuck. You're working for someone. You're forced as a laborer to pick cotton or sugarcane. So I broke those chains. This broke the chains really for me. You know, these chains of slavery. I'm not, my people weren't slaves. where They were forced there. So it just, it just brightened the world up for me. It, brought, it just made shit, it makes it better for me. I, I understood more and more. You know, the civil rights movement has not even begun yet. Yeah, that's what I think. It's just about to begin (laughs) for everybody, for the white, poor white people, too. But like truly immense. Everybody needs to understand that, you know, like there's this thing about, well, you know, if you're into what I'm into, you're worshiping the devil or something. That's bullshit. Okay. Yeah, it is, man. (laughs) I'm not even anywhere near being a devil. And um, I'm trying to help the plan and not hurt it. Well, so, you also yeah. got those missing pieces filled in, like for me, because my mom and dad were the same. They were raised Catholic in New York, and they rejected all of that. Yeah, but, well, um, they, were, they, yeah. they uh, and they were very heavy in the civil rights movement and stuff too. My dad was born in '31, my mom in '36, and um, but. They since they rejected my dad rejected all religion. My mom believed in God, but just rejected religion, organized yeah, religion. Yeah. And so to have those missing pieces filled back too, not just the Beethovens and the Chopins and the Mozarts musically, but your native your religion that you're connected to. You know, I want to learn all that too. You know, that's. Yeah. Um, but I wouldn't call it a religion, though. In the, well, in the yeah, West- it's not in the Western sense. I'm, yeah, I hear right. you. See, I hear you. You know, I, I mean, uh, you know, the whole the, system, the cultural. System. Yeah, you know, the thing about it is, the Portuguese. Well, I'm in Brazil right now, and the yeah. Portuguese were the, were some of the first to take slaves, and they took millions of people and brought them to Brazil. Mm-hmm. Okay, now they had to go to the Pope. They had to go to they had to get permission from the Vatican to take slaves. Jeez. And a lot of people don't know that, you know, so I I cannot support someone who would, you know, that's not a that's not a saint. The Pope should not the Pope or in the church should not condone taking people and hurting them like that. You know, so I'm a great Catholic, but I ain't a Catholic. <laughs> I don't. I didn't need Moses to tell me thou shalt not kill. I was born with that. Yeah. You know, if you slap someone, it hurts. If they slap you, it doesn't feel good. Yeah. So why do that? You know, it just it's just it's just you, you're born with these things. Yes, you know, your you're born with conscience. Yeah, it's a conscience. You know, respect your father and mother. I don't need nobody to. I don't need you to write that on a tablet. You know, why? I mean, you know, I'm not going to hurt my dad or my mom. I'm not going to sleep with my with my brother's wife. I don't need you to tell me that. Tell me something new. Tell me something I don't know. You know? <laughs> that's universal. But anyway, that's, that's, what, that's what this has brought me to. Uh, it's, it's a freedom, a true freedom of just expression. And the music that I play, whether it be with Quincy Jones or Herbie Hancock, it came from this. Jazz yeah. came from this. R&B came from this. Rap and hip-hop came from this. You know, the rap, yeah. the rapper, uh, the, the drummer 
doesn't know the name of the rhythms he plays, but I do. There's yeah. a big difference. Yeah. That's what I want to learn. I want to learn the names. That way I can connect it up to everything, you know, even that I'm writing. I'm, I'm, I'm playing plenty of rhythms I don't know the name of. Yeah. You well, know? I mean, you know, there, there are names for them. Yeah. Well, I, I hope it, I, I could come study with you somewhere. Do you teach it anywhere? Like I, I don't teach in a school or I, I, I don't like the word teach. I share information. Yeah. You know, it's a big difference between being a sharer and a teacher, because usually in a, like in America, a t- teacher is above the student. Yeah. But the, the person that's t- teaching is learning as much from the student <laughs> as the student is learning from the teacher. So you're on the same being sharing information is better for, for me. I call myself a sharer. Nice. Yes, I will share the information. I find that interesting that you, they said you weren't able to touch the drums until you had your hands blessed, Bapt- baptized. That's really yeah, interesting. Have, they, they take you through a, an initiation and it's a rites of passage, you know, young men. Let me give you a good example. We play three drums. They have names. One is called Ialu, which means mother drum. And the mother drum is the leader. So Mama Rubes, you understand? That's a lesson. Mama Rubes. Yeah. Okay, now the mother and the Itotale is the next biggest drum. It represents the father. They do not talk on top of each other. The mother asks or talks and the father answers. So they, they have conversation. Now the baby plays the, the, the Okonkolo, which is a smaller drum, represents the children. And it plays a simple pattern that holds the family together. So when you take that away from a black man, then there's your explanation of why we have so much turmoil amongst our young men because they don't learn that lesson. And so to, to play these drums, you learn the importance of family. Without one of those members of the family, there is no family. Mm-hmm. So that's an yeah. important lesson. When, when, these, when, the, when the Europeans took people and enslaved them or made them prisoners, they told them they could not speak their language. They couldn't play those rhythms or they couldn't play those drums. So a lot, even now, if I deal with someone who say Christian, they may call me a devil worshiper. And, and, and it's so far from the truth. That's because they've been indoctrinated. They've been broken. They've been enslaved. They, they don't have voodoo. <laughs> yeah, they don't understand. They don't really get it. Yeah. So, so this you, brings us to... Go ahead. No, I was saying you have to have that, that training, you know, to play drums like we do. You have to understand the importance of family. So we wouldn't have the problems that we have now with our young people if they understood this. They wouldn't, they, they wouldn't even deal with that. They would be more about protecting the family and supporting and, be, and, taking, and taking direction from elders. You know, it's, it's a part of that training. Yeah, I mean, well, they would sell our families off from each other, which yeah, I want you, you know, to get into a little bit of that too, because I know 
the drum is such a central thing and we weren't allowed to have it in this country except for apparently in new orleans which is where oh, your yeah, people are from it. definitely had it in new orleans <clears throat> and that's but, why all this music came out of there but could you tell a little bit of the story of your family because that's a fascinating story speaking of family getting sold off and all that stuff you know well, what are you asking me? I'm, your your I, family history in New Orleans, because you went, you, didn't you do like a PBS documentary or something where they came to you because this well, place? Well, you know, my, fam- you know, my, on my father's side, uh, uh, and I still visit this place quite frequently, I can go to the actual plantation where my family came from. Wow. And I, I go there quite often. I see it quite often. And uh, I and and a Shell co- Oil Company actually bought the pro- property, and they wanted to know more about the history. And there was a woman who ran the African American Museum in the area called Kathy Hambrick. She has, uh, had the African American Museum in a place called Donaldsonville, where my mother was born. So I got I got together with her. She said, "You know, there's some people that would really like to meet you." And I said, who was that? Well, the people that bought the plantation have never met any descendants from that plantation. They just know that, uh, you know, it was a plantation and that black people were there. But there was a, a white family that um, I'm, I'm, I'm akin to who owned the plantation. My great my great grandfather my great great grandfather, his name was uh, George Kenner. Now, if you go to New Orleans, Kenner, you, la- yeah. you land in Kenner, Louisiana. Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. and my great great uncle owned Kenner. The entire city well, was owned by, by William Kenner. And um, so I, I know this, my, my, um, my parents, my father knew the history. And he passed it down. And so the story is this. George Kenner owned a plantation with his brother, Duncan. Now, my uncle, my great uncle, Duncan Kenner, was a signer of the Confederate Constitution. Wow. Okay. So my history, I mean, you know. Wow. I know the history. <laughs> and um, uh, a f- very few black people can go as far back as I can. My great 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 grandfather, his name was William Kenner. That's where I got my name, William. That's where my father got his name, William. That's where my great grandfather got his name, William. William Kenner was a slave on that plantation. Okay, now my great great my great great grandfather, George Kenner, he decided he wanted to marry a white woman, but he had a black family. Okay, my great great grandmother had seven children by this slave master. Okay, now, I don't know how he treated her. I really, I guess he must have been okay, okay with her because they had seven kids. But when he decided to get married, he had to get rid of his black family in order to marry this woman. So he put my great-grandma, great-great-grandmother out. He, he expelled her from the plantation. And she had, she was pretty intelligent because she had stashed enough money. She had stashed enough money to buy 
three of her kids. So wow. she left Jeez. the plantation and moved to St. Louis with her children. One of them was, his name was Alexander Kenner. Now, Alexander Kenner was like my dad. I mean, he was, I, I had, my father learned, learned the mathematics. My father was a mathematical genius, but he only went to the third grade. But he drew blueprints, okay. put open heart furnaces in the steel mills. He was a genius, right? Well, this guy, Alexander, who was his uncle, was a genius also. He, when he moved to St. Louis with my great-great-grandmother, they started a business, which was a, a wardrobe. They, they, they had a cleaning business to clean clothes. She became independently wealthy because he ran the number thing on, you know, he could, he had the number thing happen. Oh, and, um, she would take money from this business and she would travel back to Louisiana and buy one kid at a time. And at that time, a kid cost maybe the going price for <sighs> a slave was about $2,000, $2,500. So she had one kid left to buy. And his name was Bill Kenner, William Kenner, which is my grandmother's brother. OK, I mean, father. And um, so she went back to buy Bill and Duncan Kenner, who was like Scrooge. Um, he wanted more money for him than the other kids. And um, mm. she said, well, what, what kind of arrangement are we talking about? I said, well, look. He is a trainer. He, he trained horses. The Kenners had the biggest thoroughbred uh. horse stock in the country. They had, they had jockeys on their plantation that won the Preakness. Wow. All the jockeys at the time were black. They, there were no white jockeys. All the jockeys were black. Okay? And um, so in, in, to make a long story short, uh, he wouldn't let Bill go because he yeah. was a horse trainer. And, and he would lose money. So he said, I'll do, I, here's what I'll do. You, you give me the money you brought with you, which was $2,000. And then Bill will have to stay on the plantation for another three years at $15 a month. And after three years, he will have made up the difference. Oh my God. So she said, okay, I'll do it. She gave him the money, but she died before the three years was up. Mm. And Duncan Kenner got on, however he got to St. Louis, he went to St. Louis, he claimed her estate, and brought all the kids back into slavery. All of them. <clears throat> all of them. Now, oh one, of them's, one of them, one of this, one of them was very smart. He actually sued. He was a mulatto, right? It was half white, half black. And because he was light-skinned, you know, he was a mulatto. He had they treated mulattoes better than darker people, okay? So he actually sued his uncle, Duncan, and won. He won, and Duncan had to, had to free the kids, and then he, had to, he had to give back uh, the, my, my great-great-grandmother's estate. And uh, they left, and um, my, 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 uh, my great-great-grandfather, George, um, I mean, a uh, Bill Kenner, my great, great, my great grandfather, Bill Kenner, he started the first Methodist church in the area. And the headstone from that church is in the African-American Museum. Wow. So there's a story. 
Dude. <clears throat> well, it all ties back to New Orleans, too, which is what's so fascinating to me. Uh, it's so great. You're such a living history book or living history books. Um, but this place where you can remember all this history and trace it back and also is a place where black people are allowed to keep their drums, which helped you get reconnected, you know, yeah, going to Cuba a, and Haiti and Brazil. Well, and You know, Cuba, it's interesting. A lot of people don't know the archdiocese for Louisiana was Santiago de Cuba. Back oh, the, I didn't know that. Oh, there's the Cuban connection. There's the connection. Yeah, there it is. And, um, you know, uh, it, it comes up in the music somewhat. I'm out here on the road, road in Brazil with Donald Harrison. And, oh, I just and saw Donald, him with, yeah. He, he's a historian himself. Yeah. And uh, so we talk about Congo Square. It was never really called Congo Square. Back in the day, it was called Plas Congo or Plas Negra, which is the black place. And it was in a, it was back of town. And on every Sunday, the uh, enslaved people or prisoners as, I, prisoners, as I call them, were allowed to go to this place and play their traditional music and uh, dance, sing, sell stuff, you know. And a lot of white gentlemen, they called them, would go there to to acquire a black mistress. They called it a plassage arrangement. And the mother of the of that of that girl, it would be a contract, really. And so this guy would have a black family on one side of town. <laughs> and then he'd go on St. Charles after that and have his white family. But they were, and everybody everybody knew about it. It wasn't like, you know, it was kept a secret. But it was uh, an arrangement where, where this this white guy would would have a black family and he would have to take care of the children. He had to sign a contract that he, and he would have to, to agree to educate the kids, you know, take care of mm-hmm. them. They couldn't just just do it. You know, they weren't they weren't prostitutes. They were. But the arrangement was you couldn't marry a white, a black woman. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? They had a thing called the. Code Noir, the Black Code. And it's inter- interesting, if you, you can read this, if you go to Wikipedia and look up the Code Noir or Black Code, they ha- you can read the, the Black Code. Now, number one, number one on this Code Noir was expel all Jews from the colony. <laughs> it had nothing to do with black people. Oh, my God. Get rid of all the <laughs> that Jews. That was the first thing. <laughs> first thing, get rid of the Jews. Wow. Well, you wow. know, there there we go. You know, there, there's, <laughs> I mean, you know, then we'll, now we'll deal with the black people. Then you go down. I've, the I've heard and, of the black coats since I was like a very young kid. I didn't know that. <laughs> you know, no, that's a, you can read it. Go to, you, you yeah, can read it. I, you can still you can get this document. And, uh, you know, as you go down the list, now black men were, were not, two black men could not be caught together conversing. They couldn't do anything together. You see what I'm saying? You couldn't, you couldn't hang out with each other because you would be a conspirator then. Okay? Jeez. And they, then they, had, they, had certain, they had one, one law, say if a, if a slave slapped or hit his master, 
they may cut off your finger. You know, it was terrible, man. Yeah. We're talking yeah. about some barbaric, yeah. insane yeah. kind of stuff. But to know about it, is, it frees you because you know the truth. It's well, better to just knowing that ex- explains some things just in my personal history. Like my dad's dad, very light skinned from Gulfport, Mississippi, has a lot of ties to New Orleans. I yeah, thought I have like a great, great, great grandmother or something was born there and lived there. Um, but his, all the f- pictures of my granddad's family were destroyed on purpose, I believe by him. That's and possible. now I think I understand why, because he's so like, he probably actually could have passed for white, you know, like I could tell better because I'm black and I can, I can just sense yeah. from light skinned black people. A lot of my family is like that on both sides. Yeah. When you get up yeah. there, on one but side you, can pass. Pass, you can't pass for white. Okay. <laughs> no, because you have a kid and then one of your, if you like marry a white person, you could have four white kids, white looking kids and one black one. And that happened yeah. on my mom's side. And well, so they know, all married much darker, but I couldn't figure out. I was like, why is no information about my grand paternal granddad's family? And I think that's what it was. It was one of these you said, presage agreements or something. It could have been, you know, who no. knows? You know, you have to research your history. Hey there, Osiris listeners. I wanted to tell you about our friends over at Smart Wool. For more than 25 years, Smart Wool has been making merino wool socks and apparel designed to keep you comfortable. Because they want to help you play, laugh, and explore in the outdoors with every thread they knit and every step you take. Because they believe that comfort sharpens focus and lets you perform beyond your limits. They are here to help you feel good. Now, it's up to you how far you will go. Take 15% off of your first order at smartwool.com. Smartwool. Go far, feel good. You know, I, just, I, go, I go to this land where, my, where my, I actually have artifacts from an archaeologist who dug underneath the slave quarters where my family came from, and I have these artifacts on us on a, on an ancestor shrine. We call Whoa. it we call Fobida. It it's an Egungun shrine. So yeah. I have I, I I'm 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 able to keep up with my past because our ancestors are. I, I talk to my ancestors. Yeah. If I get stuck, I was taught by these Cubans how to talk to my ancestors. It's a specific procedure, but and you have to be a priest to do it. You can't just, not anyone can do it, you know, but yeah. you're given certain knowledge about how to do it. And I can ask questions. So if I get stuck and I, I, and I only use it if I cannot figure out the situation. For instance, if I... If I'm stuck in a business deal or something is going on, I can ask my father. I can go back and say, Dad, I need help. And I just do certain things and I sit in front of him and I ask him questions and he can answer. I know how to get an answer. And if I have to, I, I kind of use that to, to help evaluate a situation. If I have to, I don't I'll never use it frivolously, though. You can yeah. you could never ask a question if you already know the answer. 
is, is considered sacrilege if you ask a question mm. that you already know the answer to. And you can never ask the same question twice. Wow. But then you're playing with the gods. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Not, I told you not, already. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, exactly. What was the process like of becoming a priest? Well, I mean, it's pretty deep, man. Look, I'll give you some, I'll give you some of the rules. Um, number one, I had to sit in one spot for seven days. Ooh. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. And I could not look in the mirror for a year. Ooh. I had to wear white for a year. When I ate, I had to I had to sit on the floor. I couldn't sit at the table with other people. Wow. And someone wow. someone else had to feed me like I was a baby. But they didn't actually put the spoon in my mouth. I was I was given a spoon, a cup, a tin cup, and a plate. And for a year, I, I could only eat with those utensils. Wow. I couldn't go out at night. I had to be in at 12 noon. Mm. I couldn't look in the mirror. I couldn't wear jewelry. So what happened? And I had to wear white for a year. Everything had to be, be white. Now, there was a reason for it. I figured it out, which meant you have to, you, you, because you couldn't look in the mirror, you, you couldn't be vain. You yeah. understand? You know, if you were going to take, I could look in the spoon or something, I could cheat. <laughs> I, you, know, you know, I figured a way around it sometimes. Yeah. You know, you could you can you could figure things out, but the thing is, you had to go inside. You had yeah. to deal with you for a year, okay. And during that time, I could not let people touch me, and no one could call me by my name. They had oh. to call me Yahweh, which meant. About, um, I, basically, I'm, I'm married to God for that year. Wow. So I can't do anything. I can't. No sex. Yeah. You know, you just have to d deal with being with you and learning who you are. And, and what a blessing, man. What a blessing. Yeah. Wow. You know, I mean, these rules, I didn't even know that they had such rules. But <laughs> <you're> like, what? <laughs> this was the in at noon as a musician. <laughs> Look, I, had to, I couldn't even be in the rain. OK, I had to have a white umbrella. If I was caught in the rain, I had to open a white umbrella. And, uh, you know, wow. because because what what it is, is the, the water, the rainwater would wash off the 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 herb baths that I took that I was consecrated with. Mm. So at my at my initiation, I was initiated a priest in Havana, Cuba. Mm. Wow. Now you go to you go to Cuba, everybody knows what this is. Everybody yeah. knows. You see this this is this is like Hershey's chocolate. You know, everybody knows it. Uh, it's if I'm walking down the street, they say, Yawo, Yawo. Oh, and, cool. You know, I would say Yahweh back. It was my answer. So it's beautiful to have that happen to you as a black person. I, I, I wish that every black person in, in America could experience this without prejudice. Just yeah. understand you're being this is what we did. This that's is where what, we came from. I need, and people honor each other because because of it. You know, you. You learn respect. You, you you learn how to 
to act. You learn how to be a good person. So what's wrong with that? You know, and some people call some people call it voodoo. And then I have to ask them. I said, well, what does the word mean? What does that word mean? Translate that word for me. What's the definition of a word voodoo? You know what it is? Do you know? God. God. G-O-D. That is the definition of the word. It came from Benin, from Dahomey. All it means is God. So why are you mad at me? Because I like God. Because I like God. (laughs) Yeah. You know... uh, you know, but that's how things got turned around. Yes. You know, things got turned around because I guess when you enslave a person, you have to make them them feel that they're nothing. Yeah. You got to cut know? it all off if you want you to. But all this, it's so beautiful because all this is in people here. Herbie Hancock, Stevie Wonder, you know, Quincy Jones, Alan Toussaint, all these people that you've played with. And they don't know that all of this is in that music that you're playing. Yeah. Like I mean, consciously, the first thing, you know, that's the first, the first thing that that I did on Roots. If any episode of Roots, the first thing you hear are bata drums. And I'm yeah, playing a rhythm called Ruma, Ruma Yesa, which is for Oshun, who is the um, represents love. Period. Yes. So why are you going to get mad at me for playing about love? (laughs) Now you're saying that love is the devil. Yeah. Which I guess to you, it would be the person that feels that way. You know, it's like they've reversed everything. Yeah. Well, you know, you have to, you have to really understand, you know, human nature. And I'm not mad at white people. I'm not, I'm not going to get angry about stupidity because, you know, ignorance is okay. That means you have ignored things. You know what I'm saying? You just don't know. But when yeah. you start using your ignorance to hurt other people, then yeah. you're you're with the devil. Yeah. All right. That's why black people back in the '60s and the black Muslims called white people the devil. You know, uh, that's why it happened. You know, no, no, I'm not the devil. You the devil, not me. It's not, <laughs> you know, but. Black people have been so damaged by this slavery thing that we're still kind of, we still have chains on. Yeah. You know, I don't have them. I'm not, I'm, I'm as free as a bird. Well, I feel like yeah. the drums and the knowledge of the drums, and if you can reconnect, can break those chains. Well, I mean, you can break them if you have a strong will anyway, but it, it, uh, to be left, you know, still at this age, like, rootless foundationless you know the drums are my that's what's going to help me like plug all the way back in because that i have let me let me share something with you when i when i was in in havana when i became a priest if i'm a priest of elegua okay this is a specific african saint elegua opens the doors of opportunity you know this is i represent that and Elegua cannot be confined. It is the only priesthood that if I wanted to get up off to my throne and go in a front room and watch TV, I could. Okay. But no, none of the other initiates of the Orisha can do that. Only Elegua. Every day, 
they had to take me outside because I represent freedom. Okay, so they couldn't confine me. So what they would take me out every day. And let me tell you what would happen on a daily basis. This would happen every day for seven days. They take me out and I had on a little pair of short pants. And they were like they were knee, knee length. I had a straw hat on. I carried a stick called a galabato because Eligua gathers things with the stick. And I had a canteen full of rum and I had a goatskin bag full of candy. And every day they take me out, I had to give all the candy away and I had to give all the rum away. So wow. people would run up to me. The kids knew immediately. <laughs> Here he comes. <laughs> Here he comes. You know, so they would, they would run, run with me. I mean, they would run after me and I'd have to give them candy. And then the guys that drank, they would, oh, man, he got a, he got a canteen full of rum. Adult you children know? getting their adult candy. <laughs> I got theirs and, and I, I got a chance to go outside every day, which was very special. So, you know, all of these little things, you know, it, it just it was enlightening to me. You know, when I was I'm still a Catholic. I go to the synagogue. I go to the mosque. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm a Buddhist. Yeah, I, have a I feel like that, too. Yeah. You know, I'm, you know, if it's good, yeah. I'm, if it's good and it's good for you and it's good for the planet and it's good for other people. I'm that, too. I'm a good yeah. Christian. I'm a good Muslim. I'm a good Jew. I'm a good person. You know, yeah. don't persecute me for that. People put Jesus on the cross and killed him. Okay? Yeah. So, you know, he was a good guy. That's why I trust him. Because I know I was like, they killed him. <laughs> so then, yeah. then, who then is, they were who like, is, we can't let that go. <laughs> I like, who is they? <laughs> the Romans, they apparently. Did this, they did that. and yeah. well, they, they said this and they said that. Yeah. And I'm trying to figure out, well, who is they? It's important who they is. Yeah, they, who is that? You know, you know one of my, oh, they are. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Can you tell the story, you know, on this last tour we did, we talked a lot about when things go wrong, like when your plane is canceled and all these things, and I, you get so frustrated. And I always, we had that situation happen a couple of times. And I said, Hey, remember all the people that were so frustrated because something held them up and made them late to work on nine 11. Right. And then afterwards you're like, Hey, so now uh, the, you had this kind of story where if I want you to tell it where you went to, I think they wouldn't let you graduate high school or something. Oh, and man. all these wrong things happen. But if they hadn't, if that hadn't happened, you wouldn't have met Herbie. I wouldn't. Have I just love this story. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, when I was in high school in Detroit, I um, I transferred to a, another school because my parents relocated us to a suburb of Detroit, and I, I actually was on the yearbook staff. And when they when they called people to take pictures for the yearbook, the sen- the seniors, my name wasn't called. So I'm saying, uh-oh. So I went to the principal's office and I said, well, you know, I didn't get called to take two yearbook pictures, you know, as a senior. And they said, well, you have a problem. 
I said, well, what's the, what's the problem? They said, well, you lost a fraction of a credit or something, and we can't let you graduate until you make that up. And I said, well, can I just graduate with my class? You know, because it was humiliating, Yeah. you yeah. know, not to graduate. It was, a, you know, it was a stigma to it. And um, so I, I asked the principal, I said, well, you know, could I just make it up at, during summer school? And they, and they decided to tell me, no, I walked out. That was my last day, day of school. I didn't graduate from high school. I never got a high school diploma. But what I did do is I went to work. I got my first job, not, not my first job, but my, when I went home, I told my father I quit school and I was a senior. And, and his reaction was quite, quite, quite different than I expected. He said, well, I guess you're going to get a job. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I said, well, yeah, I, I went, a couple of days later, I got a job at Ford Motor Company and I quit that job after six months because it was truly slavery. Uh, I went to work. It was dark. I got out. It was dark. And all I heard were drills and smell paint. And I, it wasn't for me. I got another job at a racetrack called Detroit Racecourse. And um, I had to be at work at 11 a.m. Well, that was great because I played music. I was at 15. I was playing saxophone and flute in a band in Detroit in the clubs. Wow. You know, so um, I um, I did that. I, I worked at the race right now. I'm going to make a long story short. I learned how to bet on the horses from a guy in the bathroom. But as an employee, you could not bet. You couldn't go to the window and place a bet if you were an employee. Okay, so they had this black guy in the bathroom that shined shoes. And he was not an employee. He was an independent contractor. He had that job uh, shining shoes. So what he would do, he was actually a bookie. He was the numbers cool. man. He was, <laughs> I didn't know, I had no idea he was a millionaire. I didn't know it. You know, he shined shoes. So... Uh, everybody that worked in the in the racetrack, basically, especially the black people, would they? I would place a bet with him, and then he would take a percentage if you won. Okay, he would take ten percent or something like that. Well, one day, I bet on a uh, on on what they call a daily double. You had to win two races, the fourth and eighth race or whatever, but your horses had to come in first on both of these races. And you know how hard that is? That's yeah. yeah. But but if you did it, you won a lot of money. <laughs> well on this particular day, I was on the floor. I had won the first race and people found out about it. They wanted to buy the ticket. People were offering me a thousand dollars for the ticket. I said, no, <laughs> I, I think I think I'll keep it. And in that, that second race my horse came across the finish line first. That meant I won the daily double. Wow. I had about 50 dishes on the tray. I threw all that up in the air. <laughs> I quit the job. I flipped everybody off. <laughs> and I won a lot of money. I bought, a, bought an airline ticket to go to California. Wow. I was going for two weeks. And I got on the plane, and when I got to California and got off the plane, everything looked like Disneyland to me. 
I, I went to San Francisco. I had never seen the ocean. I had mm. never seen hills in an urban environment. Yeah. So right. I was awed by this. Now, to make, like I said, to make a long story short, I, I was living with my Uncle Boo and Auntie Frankie. And Uncle Boo was a civil rights activist. He said, Bill, he said, Billy, you know, if you were a resident of California, you could go to junior college free. I said, what? And he said, yeah. I said, well, Uncle, uh, I said, Uncle, I don't have a degree. I don't even have a high school diploma. He said, well, let's let's tell him, let me take you over to this college. And he took me to a place called Merritt College in Oakland. And they they gave me a test and I passed. And he said, well, we can we can let you in. Well, wow. I stayed there for a year and my grade point average was so good that I applied for UC Berkeley and got accepted. That's where I met Herbie Hancock. Amazing. My band, my band opened for him at a concert at Zellerbach Auditorium on the Berkeley campus. And after the gig, Herbie asked me, actually Herbie introduced himself to me. He said, man, well, why don't you come sit in with me tonight? And I said, what? And I called all my friends up. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to play with Herbie Hancock tonight, you know? <laughs> and um, actually, I went to, the, I, I brought a few instruments over to the club. And I sat down and I, I, was, I was early, of course, because I was excited. Mm-hmm. And um, Herbie eventually walked in, you know, before the gig. And he walked by and he saw my stuff sitting, not on stage, but on the side. And he says, what is all this shit? <laughs> and I went like, oh my, man I didn't I didn't play with him that night I, I left I was I was really upset that he did that and so I said well all my stuff is not shit okay it's sacred instruments so I, I picked my stuff up and left and six months later Herbie came back to the campus to do a lecture and I was the TA for the professor and I had to pick Herbie up and bring him to the lecture and on the way to the lecture, he said, man, do we know each other? I, I, I kind of, I, I, I have some recollection of having met you. And I was kind of mad at him. So I was like, I had an attitude. And, I, you know, I wasn't a Herbie Hancock person. I mean, <laughs> and uh, we, we, we passed it up. We talked, and he said, he said, did I actually do that? And he must have said, did I do that about 20 times? He, he said, like, did I do that? You mean I did that? I, you mean I did that? I said, yeah, you did that, Herbie. Yeah, you did. <laughs> and uh, he said, man, uh, he apologized. And I went and I sat in with him. And, and later on, he called me to do a gig. And he paid me. And I went to the Santa Monica Civic Auditorium. And I went on the stage. I went to the stage. I had my gear. I had a hotel room and cartage and stuff. And I wow. went to the to the hall and there was a grand piano on the stage and a harp and my percussion. That was it. And I said, wow. and Herbie came, I said, well, Herbie, where's the band? Because there was a band called Wandishi. Yes. And I, 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 I kind of sat in with them for a while, but he said, well, <laughs> there is no band like that. It's just me, you and Alice Coltrane. That was my, <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> That was my first gig with him. And from there, from there came the headhunters. And you know, Paul, you know who Paul Jackson is, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, look, 
Look, let me tell you something. A lot of people don't know this. Paul Jackson played trombone. Mm. Okay. Now, I played in bands with Paul Jackson. I was playing sax and flute, and he was playing trombone. Wow. Wow. Like you know, Satterfield. So, wow. Yeah, we knew each other. So me and Paul knew each other. Jeez. And I went to the I went to Herbie's house, and and Herbie sent for me, and he said, "I want you to come and um, play with me and some other guys." And when I got there, it was Paul Jackson, mm. Benny Maupin, yep. Herbie Hancock, Harvey Mason, and myself. And that was the beginning. That's Jeez. how it started. And that is what directed me and my older brother Kofi's path in life. That right there. Hey man, I I think I knew yeah. Kofi, your brother. Yeah, yeah. I have really hoped that I never got a chance to play with you. A lot of my friends have, and I hope I always hope that Kofi. With, you, play with, you play with the dead, right? Yes, but I okay, know Weedy. Right. I know Adam Deitchkras. No Nigel Hall. All right. these guys well, that have played with you. Kofi well, was you down know, there a lot. You know, uh, I played with. Um, uh, no, that's just a damn shame. I can't remember his name. Uh, Grateful uh-huh. Dead. What was the leader's name? Jerry Garcia. Jerry Garcia. Yeah, I played with him. <laughs> nice. Didn't even know that. When was that? Uh, he, had, he, had a, he had a record deal with Fantasy Records. Yeah, he had a solo record deal. Yeah. I played on his records. <laughs> I didn't know this. This is great. <laughs> this is great. Me either you played on so many records, man. Jesus. Do you know? Do you know Vince Wellnick? Did you know Vince? Of course. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, okay. I didn't know him personally, me, but I know who Vince Wellnick was like this. Uh, really? That's how you got. Of course. See, I'll tell you, dude. Yeah, the dead is the through. Yeah. Vince, I I used to I lived in in a place called Camp Meeker, and Vince Wellnick and his wife at the time. They live not far from me, so we hooked up constantly. And um, you know, uh, you know, Vince also, I think, at some at points, played with the tubes. Yes, I know he introduced yes. me to. Yeah, the tubes. he was in the tubes and, before the dead. And I used to play. I used to play with the tubes. <laughs> he played wow. with the tubes with Garcia, yeah. Stevie Wonder, Kirby. <laughs> Just you can just go across the board, man. Like, well, yeah, you truly are a world musician. Like, I, I actually wanted to ask you because Pharaoh uh, Saunders yeah. passed away this weekend. Did you? Okay, did, did you have a good? Did you know him? Did you play yes, with him? Pharaoh also. Yeah. Oh, I, I figured you did. And and John yeah. Handy, Ooh. and uh, Carlos Santana. So many. Yeah, just Carl goes on. And, yeah, I know uh, Carl Perazzo because Mark Quinones yeah, introduced Paul me to him. And Raul mm-hmm. and uh, James Levi and man, I played with the Pointer Sisters and <laughs> Gaylord Birch and you know these were Bay Area people. Yeah, I got. I, I actually, you know, I don't know if you know James Levi, but I learned how to be a band leader from a guy named Levi. I, I learned everything to to do. And everything not to do from James. <laughs> you know, okay? James was a James was a guy. He, and then I, I worked with uh, Coke Escobedo, oh. and and I worked with Pete Escobedo until Sheila was old enough to go to the club. I played in the band for years. Wow! And then we did a record together called Solo Two, 
And Billy Cobham produced that record. Love Billy Cobham. So I got a chance to work with Billy Cobham. I mean, you know, when I look at my own credits, (laughs) you know, I want to meet that guy. (laughs) You know, because I play play with Dizzy, I play with Miles, Ella, Sarah Vaughn, Eartha Kitt, Nina Simone, uh, (laughs) Diane Reeves, Anita Baker. I mean, these are just the ladies, you know? <laughs> it's just you know the I mean? ladies. That's the ladies. Yeah, I mean, you know, Phyllis Hyman. Dude. And you, you fit are. in being a priest in there at some point, too. Who? I said, and you fit in being, being a priest in there at some point, too. That's a pretty incredible <laughs> existence. You know, the thing about being a priest is, you know, that's a, that's a word that Americans understand. But being a priest means being a human being. Sure, of course. You see what I'm saying? It ain't yeah, the yeah. same. It's yeah. not the same as what people may think a priest is. You know, so sure, sure. Yeah. <laughs> that's great, man. And you have you guys have a new album that's uh, coming out soon, right? Yeah, it's called Speakers in the House. Nice, and it'll be released soon. We we actually recorded it in France in a place called Nazaire, France, about five, six, seven years ago. But, oh, wow. you know, like in anything else, you put it in an in in oven, you let have to let the cake rise. <laughs> you know, it has to, it has to bake. Yeah. So we, this music has been baking for a while. And, and um, we finally got it. You know, being, being, being a musician and being an artist, Sometimes the opportunities are not there, you right. know, like the headhunters. We backed up Herbie for years and we also had solo records out. Yeah. We had one called Survival of the Fittest and yeah, there was I a tune it. on there called God Make Me Funky. Oh, man. Oh, yeah. yeah. Played yeah. it with my band. <laughs> that tune was sampled by Grandmaster Flash yep. and everybody else in the hip hop industry. It's the most sampled song in hip hop history. Wow. So, wow, I didn't know that. You know, know, that. I, you know and we're talking about, I work with Ice Cube, Ice T, Melly Mel, Grandmaster <laughs> Flash, uh, I mean, uh, Ice T, Ice Cube, Ice Milk, Ice Coffee. <laughs> ice Coffee. <laughs> I, even work all, I, I even work with Vanilla Ice. <laughs> I'm not even joking. I was waiting for that one. Yeah, so oh, it's, it. it's been wonderful for me. Um, it's been wonderful. I, I, I also had a band in, in the Bay Area called Summer's Heat. Mm. And Bill Summers and Summer's Heat. And that, that band really did. We were doing better than Herbie was. You had to, and, you uh, had a couple of hits, right, with that band? Yeah, several. I had one, one, one song that a rapper, his name is Young Jeezy. I don't know yep. if you know who he is. Yep. Young G uh, approached me and a couple of guys from, from the Bay Area that worked with Summer's Heat, uh, uh, Larry Batiste and Clay Tovin Richardson. And they were, you know, main members of Summer's Heat. And we wrote a tune, Dreaming. And this tune was in the graveyard, okay? Well, it, had, it was, it, it was kind of over, you know. You know, it goes up the charts, come down the charts. It was years ago, and this guy, Young Jeezy, he was a rapper. He liked the song, and he said, "Man, can we? Could I do? Could I use the song? Could I read? Could we redo this song 
And I said, well, as long as you as, lo- as long as you're not saying bitch and hoe and demeaning our women yeah. and doing something negative. Yeah, you can. And yeah. so he wrote a song called, you know, and he he, he left a, he left the title at Dreaming. It sold two million copies. Nice. Nice. So you yes. don't go to you. You know, it, it's never over till it's over. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome, you know, man. I, so I went to the mail. I used to derive the mailbox on that one. <laughs> <laughs> Rob the mailbox. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> this has been incredible. What a oh, great man. Chat. Yeah, Bill, thank you so much. <laughs> like, I don't even know what to say. I just yeah, like, just, just be happy, bro. Remember, yeah. the most important thing, if it ain't fun, I'm not going to say the word, but F it. If it ain't fun, something's wrong. Right. I, I, I've said that for a long time. Turn that from Quincy. If, if it ain't fun, something's wrong. If, if there's someone who rocks the boat, don't fire them, just don't hire them again. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Those are, those are very important lessons. Yeah. Are you still in New Orleans? Yeah, I, I I live in I've been in New Orleans. I've been living in New Orleans for over thirty years, and that's okay. where my, all my family's from. I, I mean, that's home. Uh, I probably will die and be buried on my ancestral land. I, I still I I, I I go to that land at least three or four times a week, and I conduct conduct. Um, you know, I have picnics for kids. I have a foundation called Club Kid. So if you go to Club Kid, which is spelled K-L-U-B-K-I-D.org, you'll see the work that I do. We're in Australia. We're in Germany. We're in Haiti. We're in Cuba. Mm, We're in Russia. We do things all over the planet for, you know, trying to change, you know, trying to be good Christians. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. You know, trying to just do the right thing. We do. We do a lot of good work. You know, I, I, I work in the school system in New Orleans, and um, I try to give back. I know you teach the kids with this, and um, yeah, they, you know, the first thing I teach them, the f- commandment number one in my program is get paid. Get <laughs> Amen. Paid. Yeah, now, I teach kids how to get paid. You know, you know, if that's a that's a big deal because the black artists have been ripped off forever. Yeah. You know, and it's still happening. And what's happened now is because black artists and producers have learned this, you know, learn bad habits, what was perpetrated against us. Now, now we're perpetrating that against ourselves. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm not, I'm very much against that. I mean, I I am the N word of the music industry. The percussionist is the last one hired and the first one fired. Okay, so I've had to deal with discrimination all my life, and as a musician in America, I don't think either one of you guys could name me three percussionists who were born in the United States that have had a record deal. Ever in the entire oh. history. Wow, I can that's you, right. I can name you two off top: Sheila E. and Bill Summers. Now, because yeah. Ray Barreto is from, even yeah. though 
No, we no, ran him out in New York. He's, no, that don't count. Mongo Santa Maria doesn't count. Yeah, Ayesto doesn't count. Yeah, South America. About yeah. People that's who true. play the kind of music. Like we. And Tume? And Tume. I'll, I'll give you and Tume. All right, I came up yeah. with the third one. <laughs> All right. <laughs> but now, stra- now I'm done. <laughs> well, you know, and Tume was, was, I mean, he got, I think he got more of a reputation as a producer. Yeah, for sure. And then I think Umtume, yeah. uh, the, the Heath brothers, wasn't he related? Wasn't his father one of the Heath brothers? Tootie or... <laughs> my What's son. that, my man? He can't hear you because of my headphones. Oh, okay. It's Bill Summers, he said, what's up, my man? Hi. <laughs> yeah, no, there's there's a few. Teach him right, man. Just teach him the right thing. Well, that's what I was going to say before we let you go. I hope that I can come to New Orleans because that is my where I make my pilgrimage. That's my Mecca. And uh, I was going to originally say, hopefully you will teach me, but hopefully you will share some information. Yeah, with me. share some information. <laughs> because I really want to reconnect these rhythms that I know from since I was seven years old. Hey, man, Kojo. do me a favor. Do me a favor. When you come before you get to New Orleans, Call me up so I can pick you up from the airport. Oh, man. From Kenner. <laughs> yeah, from Kenner, Louisiana. That it is. And um, I, I will do that for sure because I feel like this is a circle closing that I've been waiting for literally my entire life. And I wish Kofi was alive to see this. But I'm glad that you knew him, man, because we yeah, definitely. Hey, man, listen. Before, before we hang up, I want to show you something. I want to show you guys something. You guys need to know about this. If I can find it, I put it in my bag. I thought I did. Maybe I put it in my suitcase. But I'm getting ready to go to the airport really soon. Here we go. Okay. Here you go. See this? Yes. Yes. It says forward back. Right. Okay. That's my new group. Oh, excellent. Forward back. Now, this music is about what we just talked about. In order to over, in order to go forward, we have to go back. Right. Yeah. We have to we have to correct the history that was that was written as erroneous. In order for, for, for my people to to get it, we have to go back. Right. So this music on this record is called Forward Back. The group is called Forward Back. We'll be in Oakland, California, playing at a place called Jeffrey's Inner Circle. It is the last Black-owned club of music in the Bay Area. Wow. Okay? I'll be with the Headhunters. We're performing at SF Jazz on the 22nd and 23rd of October. Then we go across the Bay to Oakland and uh, with Forward Back. You can get this. You can go to any... You can find this uh, on iTunes, Spotify, any of that. Any uh, of those. I'm on it. You know what I'm talking about. You can yeah. get it very Stream easily. It. We're on Instagram. And, you know, we're, we're everywhere. And I'm going to send you guys a link tree so you can see our videos Beautiful. and um, and understand what this is about. Awesome. This man. is the future. This is the future. I mean, it's got every all the elements of the music that I've played all my life. And it's the greatest thing I've ever done is this. Wow. Can't wait because to hear it, man. It's, it's, it's real. It's, it's, 
It's all, it's the rhythms. I play the rhythms that we were speaking about on this record, but the music has all these elements, jazz, funk, hip hop, but it's about the tradition. So, you know, if you get a chance, go and get forward back volume one. I've done that. I plugged it. <laughs> nice. And volume one means there will be a volume two as well. So. Nice. Safe travels. And thank you for spending time with us. Osiris. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.